If you have your Bible today, I'd like you to turn with me to the Gospel according to Luke. Again, we'll be in Luke chapter 13, and we will begin in verse 22. Luke chapter 13 and verse 22. And as you know, for some time now, we've been studying the life of Christ as it's presented in this Gospel, and I've mentioned it several times. But again, Luke wants to bring it before our attention. He wants to keep it before our eyes and before our mind that Jesus is on His way to Jerusalem. Um, of course, we know the rest of the story. He's going there because we're on this side of the cross. We know what's going to happen. He's going there where he will eventually be crucified. He will suffer at the hands of sinful men, die on the cross as a sacrifice. And uh, this, is his, this is his big final trip. And it's significant, I think, that in his, in his last trip up there, this big monumental event, he's getting ready to do the biggest thing in the history of mankind, of, of, of all humanity, he still makes time to stop and teach people in little towns and villages along the way. And I think, that's, I think that is a significant thing. Now the main thing that he's teaching and preaching during this, uh, this phase of his life and ministry has to do with the kingdom of God. So part of what he's taught up until this point has to do with some of the moral things, uh, talk about prayer and giving and all, all those sorts of things. But right now he's talking about the kingdom of God. And so last week we looked at it and he gave us two word pictures, two parables that told what the kingdom of God was like. He talked about it being like a mustard seed and leaven or yeast. And today he's going to speak about the importance of being in the kingdom. And if you don't get anything else out of this message, what I hope that you get and grab hold of and remember is that you need to strive to enter the kingdom of God. Strive to enter the kingdom of God. Now, I know you just got through sitting down, but if you would, in honor of God's word, uh, stand with me. We'll be in Luke chapter 13, and we'll start reading in verse 22. It says, And he was passing through from one city and village to another, teaching and proceeding on his way to Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, are there just a few who are being saved? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door, for many, I tell you, will, be, uh, will seek to enter and will not be able. Once the head of the house gets up and shuts the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock on the door, saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer and say to you, I do not know where you are from. Then you'll begin to say, We ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. And he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you are from. Depart from me, all you evildoers. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves thrown out. And they will come from east and west and from north and south and will recline at the table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first, and some who are first who will be last. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, I've broken this text down into four main headings, and the first is drawn right from verse 23. And I, I want you to see here an unwise question. An unwise question. Look at verse 23 again. Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem, and he's teaching in towns and villages along the way, and people are coming out to hear him. And, and it seems likely from the question that he's not having the type of response that maybe we would think that he would have. Because when, at least when I think about Jesus, and I think about all these crowds that are following him and, and coming out to hear him, I'm like, in, in my mind at least, a lot of times I'm thinking a lot of people are going to be responding positively. A lot of people are going to be following him. And no doubt some did, but evidently he's not having the type of response that we might expect him to have because, yes, people are coming to follow him, but tons, scores of people are not coming to follow him. That's why the question is even asked. Because if, if, if 
stadium fools are coming to follow him. They're coming out to hear him, and all of them are following him. This question doesn't even make sense, does it? So this question shows us, I think, it implies that, um, that, that he's not having the, a great response in the, in, in the populace, so to speak. Now, this was not an uncommon question to debate back then. Some of the rabbis believed and taught that just as the, the, when the Hebrews, when, when the Israelites left Egypt, only two of that great multitude entered the promised land. And some of the rabbis believed and taught that in, in, uh, in, in same proportion, very few people were going to enter the kingdom of God. Very few people, in, in about the same ratio as the, this multitude that came out of Egypt, only two got in, in, that, in roughly the same proportion, that's the way it would be entering the kingdom of God. Now, there's no biblical support for that. They, they didn't have any idea how many people were entering the kingdom of God. I just mentioned that simply because uh, this is something that was debated back then, and people came down in different camps on it. So Jesus points out that this is not the wisest question to ask. Why is this not a wise question to ask? How many people are, are entering the kingdom of God? Are, are a lot of people being saved? Why is that not a wise question to ask? Well, look at verse 24. And Jesus answers this question by getting up, really, in this guy's business, so to speak. Instead of answering directly, he says, Strive to enter through the narrow door, for many, I tell you, will seek, and, uh, seek to enter and will not be able. In other words, rather than worrying about how many people are going to be in heaven... You need to ask yourselves two questions. First, can, may you enter heaven? That's the first question that we shall ask ourselves. May I, may you enter heaven? And the second question goes along with that. And if so, how? May you, can you enter heaven? And if so, how? There's no greater question, no more important question than these two questions. May you enter heaven? And if so, how? Now, according to Jesus, the answer to the first is yes, you can. And we know that because he goes on to tell us how that can happen. May you enter heaven? Yes. How? Verse 24. Strive to enter through the narrow door. And that's the second, uh, the, the, the second heading that I've broken this down under. He gives us, we have an unwashed question, now we have an agonizing answer. An agonizing answer. Look again at verse 24. He says, strive to enter the narrow door. Now that word strive in the, in the original language is the same word that comes into English as agony. He says agonize to enter the kingdom of God. Agonize to enter the narrow gate. Now this gate, this door that he's talking about is the same one he mentioned in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7. You remember verses 13 and 14 he said, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. The way is hard and the gate is narrow. Now, it's big enough to fit any person. It doesn't matter what your station in life is. It doesn't matter what your background is. Any person can enter in through this gate. There, there is, it, is, it is big enough for all to come in, but they have to come in one at a time. And it's narrow enough that you have to come in and you have to lay down every encumbrance. You can't take your pet sin with you. You, you, can't, you can't take your, your pet ideas. You, you can't take your, your, uh, your, 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 your wicked lifestyle. All that has to be laid down. Your, your pet sin, you have to repent. Your, your pet ideas, your pet lifestyles, your, your filthy behavior, that all has to be laid down before or when, when you come in through that gate. Now, the Broadway, you, I mean, lots of people go on it, and, and it's broad enough. You can go in on that Broadway through the wide gate. 
And there's no problems. You can carry whatever sin you want with you. You can live whatever lifestyle you want. And, and, and people who are on that way feel pretty good about themselves because they look around and they see everybody else doing the same things they are. They're seeing them live the same life, committing the same sins, having the same uh, uh, worldview. But this narrow gate requires us to lay all that down. You must forsake your sin. You must repent of it. Entering through this gate will require you to change your behavior. Changing your behavior doesn't get you to heaven. But what I'm saying is when we go through that gate of salvation, when we enter through the door, when we enter into the kingdom of God, God makes a change in our heart and we are so radically changed from the inside out that every aspect of our life will be affected. Every aspect of our life will change. Now what is this gate? What is this door? What's none other than faith in Jesus himself? Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved. Or in John chapter 14, verse 6, he, he used a different picture, but it's the same truth. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Now, when Jesus said to, to, to strive to in, enter the kingdom of God, he is not saying that self-effort and self-improvement or, or getting into the kingdom depends on our, our actions. He's not saying that if you are just good enough, you'll deserve heaven. Because getting to heaven, the kingdom of God, is not recompense for a life well lived. Getting to heaven is not a reward for, for being a good boy or a good girl. What Jesus is saying is his, when, when we are to strive and agonize over this, he's saying we need to make it our chief goal in life to enter the kingdom of God. That should be the number one goal in our life is to get to heaven. Now the word that's used originally had the idea of competing in an athletic event. Now, obviously, I'm not an athletic person, but I do know some athletes. And, and I've seen, you know, the guys and, and gals that compete in the Olympics and, and different high levels of sport. And when you look at them and, and their lifestyle, they, they have a training regimen. They are singular in their focus. They devote themselves to that. And that's the idea here. It, it's this singular focus of getting in to the kingdom of God. We shouldn't let things hold us back. We shouldn't let those things distract us that are in the world. So rather than idle speculation about how many are going to get into the kingdom, Jesus says, rather than say how many are going to get there, your question is, am I going to be among that number, however big that number is? And I just want to ask you this morning, are you among that number? Have you made it your goal in life to get to heaven? Have you entered through the narrow gate? Have you repented of your sin? Have you trusted Christ for salvation? If not... Even right now, won't you trust Christ for salvation right where you are? Won't you trust in Christ alone to save you? So we see a foolish question. We also see an agonizing answer. Third, I want you to see a final rejection. A final rejection. Look at verse 24 again. He says, strive to enter through the narrow door. Why? For, because, many will seek to enter and not be able. Now there are a couple things I want to mention here. First... This word seek, they'll seek to enter but not be able. This is not the same word that he uses when he talks about striving. Now this word seek, there, there's a different level of intensity here. This has the idea of, of, of endeavoring or inquiring. This is the person who when you say, hey, are, do, do you want to go to heaven? They're going to say, of course. Of course I want to go to heaven. That sounds pretty good. Better than go to hell. But they... 
would not say, they may say, well, I, I, I think I will. I believe I will. They, they may give lip service to Jesus and his importance in their life, but this is the person who doesn't care enough about going to heaven that they will abandon their, their, their hopes of self-effort, of self-worth, of being good enough, of hoping in their, that their good deeds will outweigh their bad. Have you ever talked to somebody like that? Well, I'm just doing the best I can. I just hope at the end I've got enough good on, on the scale and, and it will outweigh the bad that I've done. No, that's the type of person that Jesus says will not make it. The second thing to note here is the timing. See, it's not like these people that Jesus talks about. He says that strive to enter because many will seek to get in and won't be able. He, this is not that all these people are, are in this life beating down the doors of heaven trying to get in because they're so good and, and so devoted to God and they're, they're seeking God with all their heart and mean Jesus is keeping them out. That's not what, what is being talked about. The Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. None of us seeks God. I mean, the Bible is very clear. Not even a single person seeks after God. So this is not that people are, are trying to get to heaven and Jesus is telling them no and shutting the door in their face. Verse 25 tells us when this is going to happen. What does it say? When do the people begin to stand at the door and are refused entry? Verse 25. Once the head of the house gets up and shuts the door, then you're going to say, oh, I'm on the wrong side of the door. See, there's a day coming, at the very least, when we breathe our last, when an opportunity to respond to the gospel is going to be gone. When we stand before God, there will be no more opportunity. The door will be either open as you come into the kingdom, or shut as you're locked out forever. Verse 25 gives us the timing of verse 24. It'll never be opened again. That's why the Bible says that today is the day of salvation. Today, if you hear His voice, don't harden your heart. And again, even right now where you are, trust Christ for salvation if you've never done so, and you will be saved. Now notice those who are forever locked out. They try to place a claim on the Master. What do they say? They say, well, we ate and drank in your presence. You taught in our, in our streets. And isn't it truly amazing how slim of an idea people hang their eternal destinies on? Well, Jesus, we came and heard you when you were in Capernaum. Jesus, we had lunch with you. We went to the McDonald's and we sat down and had a, and, and had a sandwich. You were near us. In other words, you didn't show us disfavor. You didn't immediately judge us. Therefore, we must be going to heaven. Listen, you can mark this down. Proximity to Christ does not equal a relationship to Christ. Proximity does not equal relationship. Just because you go to church, just because you went to a tent revival, just because you went to a Christian school, just because your granddaddy was a preacher, just because you took communion, just because you were a church member, just because you went to a pop-up VBS, just because you sang, what a friend we have in Jesus, that does not mean you are saved. Because you can go to hell from a church pew same as you can from a bar stool. Because church attendance does not equal entrance into the kingdom of God. Even though these people earnestly believed that they were saved because they were on friendly terms with Jesus, they heard His teachings. Jesus said, Judge not in the Sermon on the Mount. That's the only thing that they heard. And they said, I'm in. I'm, I'm down with that. Oh, this stuff about righteous life, about repentance of sin. Well, I don't like that part of Jesus' teaching. I'll just focus on this part I like. What does Jesus say? He says that those people 
when they stand before God, he will say, depart from me, I never knew you. What a terrible statement from the lips of God. I never knew you. Now in that place of rejection, verse 28, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That is a description of conscious, eternal torment separated from the glory of God in hell. There is no third option. You're either in the kingdom or you're out of the kingdom. If you're in the kingdom, you're going to heaven. If you're out of the kingdom, you're going to hell. There is no other choice. There are two destinies. And knowing that they're there, notice part of what the torment is. He says, you'll you'll begin to say to me, we ate and drank and we heard you teach. He said, "I, I never knew you. In verse 28, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves being thrown out. Part of the torment of hell is being able to see those who are in the kingdom and knowing that you can never get there. Seeing the joys that they experience, the blessedness that they will receive, and you being barred from that for eternity will only compound the grief, will only compound the torment. And not only them, but if you look at verse 29, and they will come from east and west and north and south and will recline at the table in the kingdom of God. This is talking about not just the Jews, not just the prophets and so forth, but the Gentiles as well, people from all walks of life, people from all over the earth, Jews as well as Gentiles. In other words, that will include us here in Missouri, can enter the kingdom of God. And then he closes in verse 30 with a great reversal. A great reversal. He says, many of the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. In other words, many of those that the people on the outside looked, looked at somebody and said, that person's definitely getting in. Have you ever met somebody like that? You're like, man, I would, I would, bet, my, I would bet my mother's paycheck. That person's going to heaven. That person, they, they've got it all figured out. I mean, look at them. Their kids are clothed in the right mind. I mean, they, they, they seem to have a good marriage. They call each other sweetie and not sarcastically. I mean, they, they have a Bible, and it looks like they've even read it a t- couple of times. They don't even cuss around me. And, and we look at them and we say, that person's definitely getting in. And Jesus says, some of those people that you look at on the outside, you say they're going to heaven, actually are not going to, and vice versa. Some of those people you say, that person's definitely not getting in. I mean, whew. They're kind of rough around the edges. Some of those folks are getting in. See, many will squander away their spiritual blessings and spiritual opportunities, and they'll talk a good game in this life, and yet when the truth is revealed, those are some of the ones who will be rejected. They appeared to be first, and actually, they're last. Now again, if you are a follower of Christ, hear what I'm saying. If you are a follower of Christ, you are safe. If God has saved you, you are eternally secure. But if you are not born again, you are not safe. Jesus said, if you would see the kingdom of God, he said this in Nicodemus chapter 3, if you would see the kingdom of God, you must be born again. And he goes on to give us John 3, 16, For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. But then he follows that up, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And he hits us in verse 18, with this truth, that if you have not believed on the Son, you're condemned already because you've not believed on the Son of God. And today, 
If you have not believed on the Son of God, if you've not been born again, you are outside the kingdom. I don't care what letters are after your name. I don't care what your church membership card says. I don't care how many times you've taken communion, worked at Bible school, uh, taught a Sunday school class, preached a sermon. If you've not been born again, you are going to hell. But you don't have to. If you will repent of your sin, if you will turn and, and turn and cr- trust Christ as your Savior, even right where you are, today, today is the day of salvation, you will be saved. Listen, if you stay in that state of unbelief and you reject Christ for too long, one day He will reject you. And that is a terrifying statement, but it's a true statement. Why don't you stand with me as musicians come? And as you stand, I ask you by your heads and close your eyes. And just in the quiet of this time, with nobody looking around, I want to ask you, and I don't want hands raised, I don't want anybody looking around to see what somebody else is thinking or doing. I just want you to in your own heart, answer this question. Are you in the kingdom of God? That's a yes or no question. You're in or you're out. You're not part way in, part way out. You're on one side of the door or the other. Are you in the kingdom of God? Has there been a change in your life? Not of you shaking the preacher's hand, signed a card, been baptized, been confirmed, gone to Mass, gone to confession, taught a, a Sunday school class, preached a sermon. Have you ever turned from your sin and trusted Christ for salvation? If so, that's something to praise God for. That is something that we didn't deserve. That is something that is purely an act of grace and mercy from God. If you have not trusted Christ for salvation, do that today. You can come talk to me. You can do it right there where you are. There's not a special formula, not a special prayer. When Peter began to sink on the, on the sea, his prayer was, Lord, save me. The Bible says that if you'll confess Jesus as Lord with your mouth and believe in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that is um, it's timeless and yet timely. It stands the test of time and it speaks right to where each of us is in every generation and speaking to us right now. 
And God, if there's anybody who's hearing me today who has never trusted Christ for salvation, Lord, I pray that you would draw them to yourself, that you would enable them to believe. Because we know that none of us seeks after God. All of us has turned to his own way. Each of us has gone astray like a, like a, a, a sheep. But God, we know that you've caused the iniquity of his soul to fall on Christ. And that by his wounds, by his scourgings, we are healed. We can have that eternal life because of Christ. And Lord, I pray that you would let us all respond to you in the ways that we need to today. And God, we thank you, for those of us who are believers, we thank you that you've saved us and have drawn us into your kingdom. We didn't deserve it. And I thank you for the hearts of these people that want to see your kingdom grow, that wants to see uh, this community and this state and this country and this world come into fellowship and relationship with you. Now, Lord, again, we turn all things over to you and ask that you would do your will. In Jesus' name, amen.